The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading today is Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a man with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Five of, five of whom have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation 17. And if you were with us last week, you may be wondering... Why there is a Revelation chapter 17. Last week really, truly felt like the conclusion of Revelation. You remember? We saw seven bowls poured out to bring evil to an end. Like with those bowls pouring out, we saw the second coming of Christ that brought evil to a conclusion. But if you were one of the original hearers in the seven churches of Asia Minor, if you were one of the original hearers of the book of Revelation, I'm willing to bet that your response to first hearing that news, evil will end, your response would be, yeah, right. Like those original hearers, you've got to remember, they're living amidst the reality of the first century Roman Empire. Like with all of its power, 
with all of its prosperity, you look around at that and you have to think, like, evil's going to end amidst all of this? Sure. Okay. Right, Revelation. And Shades, I'm willing to bet that our response is kind of the same. Amidst the reality that we live in last week when you heard God's word declare that evil will end, but then you walked out of this room or you walked out of your house and you saw the reality of your world, did you not think, yeah, right? Just look at the world's power, prosperity. Like nothing about the reality that that we see around us makes us believe or leads us to believe that evil will end. And as a result, the reality that surrounds us begins to make us doubt God's word. Because if we're honest, his promises begin to fill as empty as the bowls they were poured out of. And if I'm one of those first century churches feeling like the promises of God are empty. Do you, know, do you know who does begin to look powerful enough to deliver on the things it promises? Rome. If I'm one of those first century churches, here's the reality that I see. Rome promises me security from all the evil surrounding me. They look like they've got the power to deliver on that promise. Bring me the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. Rome promises me satisfaction through a life of luxury. Through their economy, there's much wealth to be gained. It looks like they've got the prosperity to deliver on that promise. And all of a sudden, Rome doesn't look as bad as Revelation has described it. In fact, it looks quite attractive. Powerful enough to give me the joy-filled life that God apparently can't deliver. Shades, that doesn't just describe an ancient reality. You know who still looks powerful enough to deliver on their promises? The present powers of this world. Like when you walk out of the sanctuary or out of your home, here's the reality that we see. The world promises us security through politics. And those politics look powerful enough to deliver on that promise. This world promises us satisfaction through a materialistic life of luxury, and it, it looks like it's got the prosperity to deliver on that promise. And all of a sudden, the world doesn't look so bad as it has been described. In fact, it looks quite attractive. Powerful enough to give me the joy-filled life that God apparently can't deliver. Shades. This is why we need Revelation 17. It's why we need Revelation 17. Because when we, as humanity, when we see a giant like Goliath, we think there's no way he can fall. He must be the power that we need for our security. When we see a ship like the Titanic, we think there's no way that it can sink. It must be the prosperity we need for our satisfaction. And when we see a world full of evil, we believe there's no way that it will end. So it must be the world's gospel that ultimately wins. That's the reality that we see. And Revelation 17 exists to say, don't be deceived by what you see. That's not ultimate reality. Ultimate reality is Goliath's fall, Titanic's sink, and evil ends. Shades, is that hard to believe? That evil ends and the gospel wins? Does, does, this, does, does the word of this world make you doubt the word of God? 
Shades, I openly confess that 2020 has made faith hard for me. 2020 has made my faith very, very weary. Which is why I need, we need, Revelation 17. It reveals the ultimate reality so that we will not be deceived by the word of the world, but we will believe the word of God. We desperately need to see this ultimate reality. Shades, see it with me. Revelation 17, beginning in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So right here, the vision of the seven bowls have just concluded right at the end of chapter 16. And the vision of the seven bowls gave us the big overarching picture of evil's end. For the rest of Revelation, okay, we're entering into the last section here. For the rest of Revelation, chapter 17 through 22, evil's end is going to be unpacked in more detail so that we won't be deceived to death, but led to life. We know that's what we're seeing begin to happen right here, evil's end being unpacked in more detail because it's one of the angels who poured out the seven bowls. In other words, one of the angels who helped us get the big overarching picture of evil's end. It's one of them who comes and says, okay, let's zoom in now, John. Let's unpack the details of the end of, of evil. We've had various evil characters enter onto the world stage here in Revelation. We had the dragon of Satan. We had his beast and his false prophet and the prostitute of Babylon. They're going to exit in reverse fashion. We're going to zoom in on their end. The prostitute Babylon, the beast and the false prophet, and finally the dragon and see the new reality that Christ will usher in. Right here, we're zooming in to unpack the details of evil's end. This is what we need because evil aims to deceive us to death. So the rest of Revelation counters that, aiming to lead us to life. It aims to to keep us from being deceived by the supposed reality that we see through revealing to us ultimate reality. And that begins right here in verse 1. This angel says he's going to reveal, show, he's going to reveal to us the judgment of the great prostitute. Who is that? Verse 5 gets a little bit more explicit with her identity. She is Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes. We've actually encountered Babylon twice already. You may not remember her because she was only mentioned briefly, once in chapter 14 and verse 8, once in chapter 16 and verse 19. So now we are zooming in And what we're going to see is four details. Four details so that we won't be deceived to death by the prostitute Babylon, but led to life by Christ. And detail number one is unfolding right here before our eyes. Number one, this prostitute is a parody of ultimate reality. This prostitute is a parody of ultimate reality. Who exactly is it that is being represented by this symbolic prostitute of Babylon the Great. Obviously, right here, she's being portrayed for us as an unfaithful woman, a prostitute, but that's, 
That's not all. Look at the chapter's conclusion. Look at verse 18. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of earth. So Babylon is pictured for us as an unfaithful woman, but also as a great evil city that we've already heard about several times throughout Revelation. An unfaithful woman, an evil city. That sounds like that sounds like the mirror opposite of another symbol we've already seen. Faithful woman and a holy city. Do you remember these? You remember back in chapter 12 where we saw this faithful woman in the wilderness, Mother Church, the mother of Jesus' faithful people, the people of God, have been symbolized in Revelation by a faithful woman. And not just a faithful woman, but if you remember back in chapter 11, they were also symbolized by a holy city. These things have been symbols for the people of God. And they will be again very soon. Like not too long from now, in just a couple of chapters, we're going to see the people of God as the holy city, New Jerusalem, who will also be called the bride of Christ, dressed in pure white, his faithful wife, a faithful woman. A faithful woman who is a holy city is a symbol for the people of Christ. And so, this unfaithful woman, who is also an evil city, Symbolic of the people of the beast. She is a parody of ultimate reality. A parody of the people of God. We've seen parodies like this before. This is actually just completing the picture. You remember? We've seen Satan, the dragon, parody God the Father. We've seen the beast from the sea, parody Christ the Savior. We've seen the false prophet, parody the Holy Spirit. And now the parody of ultimate reality is complete. The prostitute is a parody of the people that we were created to be, the people of God. We were created to to belong to a holy society, to, to be a part of a heavenly culture. Babylon is symbolic of belonging to the society and culture of this world. We were created to be the bride of Christ. Babylon is symbolic for prostituting yourself out to the pleasures of this life and making those things your Christ. I mean, Scripture constantly talks this way, doesn't it? It talks about making anything in this life your Christ, making any God in this life your God. It talks about that as spiritual, un- as spiritual adultery. Compares it to sexual unfaithfulness, does it not? Babylon is being called a prostitute right here because she has, fa- she has forsaken the only true groom, Christ and replaced him with other lovers, the, the, the lovers of power and pleasure, and security and satisfaction. That's exactly what we see in verses 3 through 6. That she has taken on other lovers, put her trust and her love, her faith, and power and pleasure. Look at verses 3 through 6. And he, that's the angel, carried me, John, away in the spirit into the wilderness, And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. That's the beast from the sea out of Revelation 13. She's riding it. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup 
full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. On her forehead was written the name of mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs, the witnesses. Martus is the Greek word. It means witness. Drunk with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. Here we find Babylon, the prostitute, in the wilderness. Talked about the wilderness a lot, the wilderness of this world. In fact, didn't we in chapter 12 find the faithful woman in the wilderness? God leading the faithful woman, mother church through the wilderness of this world, leading us through the wilderness of this world on our way to the new city of New Jerusalem. But this prostitute's journey takes the other direction. We move from wilderness to city. She goes from city to wilderness. She's the mirror opposite. She's a parody of the people of God. This prostitute's journey as the great city is not out of the wilderness, but into it. She makes herself at home in the wilderness of this world. This is where she lives. And apparently for her, the wilderness of this world is a place of power and prosperity. Power. She rides high on the back of the powerful beast as if it is merely her pet. Prosperity. She's dressed in the riches of luxury, intoxicated in a party of, of pleasure. And she too is a mother, just like Mother Church, but whereas Mother Church is mother of the faithful people of God, she is a mother of prostitutes, a mother to an unfaithful people who are also at home in the wilderness of this world, who are also likewise drunk on power and prosperity. If you go back to verses 1 and 2 that we read just a moment ago, these people were pictured as devoted to Babylon, their mother. They were pictured as devoted to Babylon, their mother, through an image of this prostitute sitting on many waters. How's that a picture of devotion? Look down at verse 15. Verse 15 says, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. In other words, here's the picture. Ancient Babylon like the physical city, ancient Babylon, was seated on the waters of the Euphrates. And this is the main avenue by which she influenced the peoples, the nations. It opened up avenues of trade. It made her wealthy. Likewise, Babylon, or the society, the culture of this world, sovereignly sits on sitting in Revelation is always a picture of sovereignty. The society, the cultures of this world sovereignly sit on or rule over all who participate in her power and prosperity. Is that not what we were told the very first time Babylon was ever mentioned to us back in chapter 14 and verse 8? Where we were told that Babylon makes, that Babylon the Great makes all nations drink the wine of her wrath and her sexual immorality. Babylon forces you to drink its wine, the wine of her sexual immorality. Remember, that's a picture for spiritual unfaithfulness. In other words, Babylon forces you to drink the wine of her idolatry. Otherwise, you've got to drink down the wine of her wrath. And doesn't chapter 17 of verse 6 say that Babylon is drunk with the blood of the saints? In other words, shades. In other words, if you want to participate 
society, culture of the world, if you want to participate in Babylon's power and prosperity, you've got to drink down the wine of her idolatry and immorality. You've got to worship what she worships. You've got to drink down her wine, comply with her culture. And so many do. Chapter 17 and verse 2 said the kings of this earth, in other words, the powerful, those who really want to achieve power and prosperity, the kings of this earth, and also the dwellers of this earth, they all do this. They all drink down this wine. All who Babylon has deceived into believing that the wilderness of this world is a home of power and prosperity. They drink down the wine. They ride the beast living in luxury. They, they're, they're drunk on what Babylon is offering, intoxicated by her promises of security and satisfaction. Shades, don't drink down that lie. Don't be deceived by the reality, the supposed reality that you see. It's a parody. And it will deceive you to death. We need to see ultimate reality that will lead us to life. John, who's receiving this vision, he needed to see it. Look, look at the end of verse 6. John says this. He says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. Of course he does. He was told in verse 1 that what he was going to see was the judgment of the great prostitute. But the reality that he sees is one where she is in power and full of prosperity. It's kind of like what happened to us last week when we saw the bowls pour out that told us evil will end. But the reality that we see when we go out and actually look at the world is that they are in power and full of prosperity. Are we not in that same situation like John tempted to marvel? is why we need to see the ultimate reality. Look at verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? Don't be deceived, John. Don't be deceived, Shades. Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. In other words, the angel is saying, I will show you ultimate reality of which this prostitute is merely a parody. And we begin to see ultimate reality with detail number two. Number two, this prostitute was a present Roman reality. He said she's a parody of ultimate reality. She was also a present Roman reality in the first century. Look at verse 8. The angel begins to explain, to elucidate this vision. The angel says... The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Angel starts right here by giving us details about the beast on which this prostitute rides because they're so interconnected. We're going to see how in just a second. The angel starts by giving us details about this beast. Now, if you remember, if you weren't here, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to our walk through chapter 13. It's pivotal for this, for the whole book. But if you remember back in chapter 13, 
where we encountered this beast for the first time, we saw the same things about the beast that we are now seeing about the prostitute. In other words, first and foremost, we saw that the beast is also a parody of ultimate reality. You remember? He's a parody of Christ. Christ who Revelation has told us again and again, who was and is and is to come. Do you see that language echoed right here in describing the beast? But he's a poor excuse for a parody. He was. He is not. Yeah, he may be about to come, but not like Christ. Christ was and is and is to come. And when he comes, he will descend from glory to announce victory. This beast, when he comes, he ascends from a satanic source and he goes to destruction. This beast is a parody. A parody of the ultimate reality of Christ. He's a false Christ. He's an anti-Christ who offers false ways of salvation. If you'll just trust in him. And you may remember from back in chapter 13 that this beast was not just a parody of ultimate reality. This beast we saw was also a present Roman reality via the imperial power of Rome. In other words, in John's day, Rome was the beast. Like throughout its years, the Roman Empire had many heads of state. We see this beast here with seven heads and ten horns. Seven and ten have both been numbers, meaning total and complete in Revelation. So Rome's complete power was expressed through many heads of state, through many Caesars throughout the years. Most of these Caesars were brutal, brutal like beastly horns. And this prostitute right here rides on the back of this beast. In other words, put the pictures together. In other words, the people of Rome, Rome's society, Roman culture rode on the back of its imperial power. The people sold their soul to the empire, literally worshiping its Caesars, sold their soul to the empire in exchange for power and prosperity. Security and satisfaction. This prostitute was a Roman reality. Back in chapter and verse 13, we were told that all the Roman world marveled at this beast, marveled at Rome's imperial power. We can ride her to prosperity and glory. John's being told, don't marvel. Don't marvel at Rome. I've told you that evil will end. I don't care what it looks like around you. Don't marvel at Rome. Churches, seven churches in Asia Minor, don't marvel. If you remember, how hard would that have been for these churches in Asia Minor? Because not only did they look around and see how powerful Rome looked in their day, but within their own ranks they had false teachers telling them, it's totally okay to marvel at Rome. You remember that? telling them it's totally okay to drink down the wine of Rome's idolatry and immorality. It is fine to comply with the culture. Do we not still have not just a powerful-looking culture and world around us, but false teachers within the church telling you even today, it's okay. It's okay to drink down the wine of the culture and comply with society. You might, in talking about the seven churches, you might specifically remember Thyatira. 
Thyatira had a false prophetess, specifically, in Revelation chapter 2. You remember what Jesus called her? Jezebel. Jezebel. And, and we don't have time to do this, but if you actually compare the wording used to describe that false prophetess in Thyatira, Jezebel, if you compare that with the wording used throughout Revelation to describe Babylon, the great prostitute, there is so much crossover. Because Jezebel and Thyatira, she encouraged the people to participate in the prostitute of Rome. Roman society, Roman court. She encouraged the people to participate in the idol worship of Rome and the sexual practices that went along with it. She would say, go ahead and participate because if you refuse, that could cost you socially, economically. It could cost you your security. It could cost you your prosperity. So, so it's fine. Drink down the wine. Get into bed with Rome. You can still love Jesus. You can... You can be a faithful bride to Christ and prostitute yourself to society at the same time. It will be fine. But in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 22, Jesus says this of the false prophet to Jezebel. I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, there's that language again, commit adultery with her, go along with her worship, visit her idols, go along with the idolatry she's condoning. I'll throw her onto the sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. Jezebel and all the followers she gives birth to, all her children, are being deceived to death. And right here, where we are today, in Revelation 17, we're being told that the same fate awaits the great mother of all prostitutes and all her unfaithful children. In other words, all who decide to ride the power of the beast on their way to prosperity and pleasure. Here's the fate that awaits them. Revelation 17 and verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. One of the most debated paragraphs in all of Revelation. You're about to get my stab at it. The city of Rome sat on seven hills. There's actually coins minted with the goddess Roma sitting on the seven hills. Kind of looks like our picture of this prostitute seated on these seven mountains. Rome sat on seven hills in a similar way as to how it sat upon, was founded upon its imperial power. Which right here is symbolically compared to seven kings. See that? These seven Mountains are seven kings. Rome, who sits upon the seven hills, we're being told, actually sits upon her imperial power. That's what she's really founded upon. Pictured right here, the fullness of her imperial power is pictured as these seven kings. Remember, these numbers are not literal. Like throughout Revelation, numbers have always been symbolic. And if you try to use this paragraph right here to start counting Roman kings, Roman Caesars, or to start counting historically through earthly kingdoms, you're going to be very frustrated and very disappointed. Because there is no method of counting kings or kingdoms that works, per, works out perfectly right here. 
That, that is not the wisdom that's being called for here in verse 9. Remember, this, this calls for a mind with wisdom. It's not for who can calculate historical precise numbers here. That's, that's, that's not the wisdom being called for. In fact, once again, if you remember back to chapter 13, which is very much like the chapter we're in right now, you remember, we there, uh, there too, we were told this calls for spiritual wisdom when it came to the beast. And what we saw there was the spiritual wisdom being called for with regards to the beast was not wisdom that would help us decode and figure out the person of the beast. It was wisdom, spiritual wisdom, that would help us discern the pattern of the beast. And that's the call here. These seven kings represent the totality, seven and ten, both numbers of totality in Revelation. They represent the totality of Rome's imperial power. Five have fallen, one is, and there is one yet to come. In other words, many Caesars have come and gone. Rome is still in power. There is still Caesar reigning now. And there will be more to come. How many exactly? I don't know. But this kingdom that's called Rome, it will be done. Sure, there may be more kings to come, but from heaven's perspective, they reign only a little while. The seventh to come, the future of the empire, from heaven's perspective, it will only be here for a moment. Don't marvel at it. Don't ride on its back as if it can powerfully provide you the security that it promises. Don't get into bed with Roman culture as if it can provide the satisfaction that it promises. What we're being told right here is Rome will fall. Evil will end. I think God's Word has been proven. Anybody hanging out in the Roman Empire today? you got to dig it up. Rome will fall. Its evil will end. Don't marvel, John, at the supposed reality that you see. This is what will ultimately happen to the present Roman reality. Don't marvel, John. Don't marvel, Shades. Every kingdom thinks it will last forever. Don't marvel, Shades. For this prostitute was not just a present Roman reality. See detail number three with me. This prostitute is a pattern in our reality. This is why Rome is identified by being told that the great prostitute sits on seven hills instead of John just saying, Rome. Because he wants the image to transcend Rome. Yes, it applies to Rome, but it's bigger than Rome. Same thing with the beast. Remember we saw that with the mark of the beast? The reason that John didn't just go... Nero is because it's bigger than Caesar's. It's bigger than Rome. It reveals a pattern. This prostitute is a pattern in our reality. Look at verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. And it goes to destruction. Now before we can talk about what this sentence fully means, see one thing right here. The beast extends beyond the Roman reality. Do you see that right here? Like when the full power of Rome, all its seven kings have come and gone, the beast isn't done. 
It is itself an eighth. It extends beyond Rome. Again, we saw this back in chapter 13, didn't we? We saw that the beast is a pattern in our reality, really throughout all reality, throughout all time. The beast, the imperial power of Rome, there were beastly empires long before Rome. Just read the Bible. you got Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece. There have been beastly empires since Rome's fall. And the societies and cultures of all of them try to climb on their backs and ride them to power and prosperity. Shames, shades, do, do, do we have the wisdom to discern this pattern? Do we have the wisdom to see if we have climbed onto the back of our beast? Oh, it's really easy to see about other cultures and other times. Do we have the wisdom to see if we've gotten into bed with our own Babylon? Shades, the political powers of our country promise you security. When you vote this November, I just made everybody really nervous. When you vote this November, Will you ask yourself, am I using my vote to testify to the power and the beauty of Christ, or am I using it to climb onto the back of a beast, to hopefully ride to power and security and prosperity? And if that question upsets you, because you assume I'm talking about your candidate. Or if that question excites you, because you assume I'm talking about the other candidate, then you are not allowing that question to confront you. Shades, we, are, we, we belong to one kingdom. And we have one king. And everything we do, including how we vote, is to testify to His greatness, His goodness, His glory. Shade, don't ride on the back of the beast of political power. And don't get into bed with our country's cultural powers. Shades, the, the cultural powers of this country promise you prosperity, promise you satisfaction. If you'll just get into bed with our modern materialistic Babylon, then you'll find satisfaction. That's satisfaction. You'll, you'll find it in discovering your sexuality. You'll find it in finding your true identity. You'll find that satisfaction. It's in, it's in the next iPhone or the next pair of shoes. It's... It's in your bank account or your 401k or in your house or your car or your career or in your social media likes. Babylon always promises that satisfaction will finally be found in the very next thing. Shades, don't be intoxicated by that drink. Don't worship what our culture worships. Don't get into bed with America's gods. Don't buy the lie of their power and prosperity. It's all temporary. 
every kingdom and every country thinks it will last forever. Rome did. Greece did. Babylon did. And today, all of those empires have to be dug out of the dirt. One day, America will be the same. Not rooting for that. I'm just stating a fact that this book that I believe tells me only one kingdom lasts forever. And it is the kingdom of Christ. Shades, caveat, I always try to. Let me, let me say emphatically with all of this, I am, not, I am not saying that we are to withdraw from our culture or to withdraw from our country. Nor am I saying that we are to hate our country. When, when ancient Israel lived in exile in Babylon, like they were taken captive, forced to live in exile in a horrific empire of Babylon. Do you know what God told them to do while they were there in Jeremiah 29? He said, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And shades as exiles in this world, we are to love our country, but by bearing witness to it, not by prostituting ourselves to it. We're to seek the good of America in accordance with God's Word. We pray for America. We love the people of America, but we don't get into bed with America. We are no one's bride but Christ's. Shades, I know. I know that when you look at our current reality, it seems, it's got to seem like this world is where you find power and prosperity. Don't marvel at the prostitute. Discern the pattern. The seven kings of Revelation 17 don't just reveal the pattern of Rome, but the pattern of our world. Five are fallen, one is, and one is to come, but will only remain for a little while. In other words, that's not just the pattern of Rome, that's the pattern of our world. Many kingdoms have come and have gone. There are kingdoms that are now, and there are some that may still be to come. But one day, we are told right here, all of them will be done. And from the perspective of heaven, that's not that far away. Every beast will go down, and so will all who join the prostitute trying to ride its power and prosperity. This is the fourth and final detail that we see. Number four, the prostitute will perish with fallen reality. The prostitute will perish with fallen reality. In other words, this fallen reality, when it gives way to the new reality of new creation... Everything that's belonged to it, every beast and every prostitute that's tried to ride those beasts will perish with fallen reality. Look again at verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. In other words, there will be a final iteration of the beast. An eighth. It will be cut from the same cloth as all the beasts that have gone before it. It belongs to the seven. It's cut from the same cloth. In other words, what we are being told right here is there will be a final iteration of the beast. Evil will come to an end. That's the point. 
The point right here is not trying to figure out who or what this final beast will be. That's not the point. Like, like will this final iteration of the beast, will it be like, you know, an organization, like a one-world government kind of thing? Or will the final iteration of the beast be like a, a single individual, ultimate antichrist, the world's Thanos, like the biggest... That's a, that's a Marvel comic book reference, sorry. The world's biggest, baddest baddie ever. Shades, I have looked at all the passages that people use to try and identify, all, all throughout Scripture, not just in Revelation, but all the passages that people try to identify, what will this final iteration of the beast be? What will it look like? All of that. I've looked at all those passages as many times as I can, and I'm going to tell you, I honestly, I don't know. Like, there are multiple ways to read all of those passages. But that's not the point. The point is not who or what is the final beast. The point is that there is a final beast. The point is that evil will end. The gospel will win. When? I don't know. Only God does. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 36. He said the angels don't know. He said even I, God the Son in the flesh, don't know. Only God the Father knows. I don't even know how to parse all that out. The idea that Satan is like waiting in the wings to raise up this ultimate biggest baddie is an impossible thing on its face because Satan doesn't know when to raise him up. Or when to raise up the one world guard, or whatever it is. Nobody knows except God Himself. Satan Himself doesn't know who or what the final beast will be because He doesn't know when Christ is coming. But I can tell you this, when Christ does come, even if that was today, we would be witnessing the end of the final beast as we witnessed the end of this fallen evil reality. That's what verses 12 to 14 describe. Look at it. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings. Remember, ten, another number meaning completion, full power. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they're to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are, these are one, excuse me, these are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. This is a zooming in on bowl number six from chapter 16 where we were told that the beast would gather all of earth's kings, all of earth's powers for the war. Remember, not a literal war. We're all beside Jesus on our horse, like going to war. No, no, that's not it. This is just it's a picture. It's a symbol of evil's end. In bowl number six, Satan gathers all the kings, all the powers of the earth for, for the war. Here they are symbolized as ten kings. Ten, complete. John is saying that in the end, all who have ridden the beast for power slept with the prostitute for her prosperity. In the end, they will see they have been deceived to death. Because the final barrier holding back God's judgment on evil will be removed. That's what we saw in the sixth bowl last week. The final barrier on God's judgment will be removed. And all, all it will be the end of all these kings and their brief rule. The war won't be a war at all. 
Christ the Lamb has already conquered through His cross. and He brings His conquering to a conclusion merely by His Word. You remember that? Chapter 16 and verse 17. Christ simply declares, it is done and it is. For He is King over every King and Lord over every Lord. And all who are a part of His faithful bride, the church, all who've looked powerless in this reality, all who look like they haven't prospered because like their Christ, they have been taking up their cross. Ultimate reality reveals them as chosen and faithful for they have conquered with their king. But for those who prostituted themselves to the beast, riding high on his power, those who drank down Babylon's wine for their pleasure, They don't conquer with their beastly king. They are consumed by him. Look at verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. So near the beginning of this year, when quarantine first began. A lot of people became obsessed pretty quickly with this documentary entitled Tiger King. Uh Uh-huh, you're out there. It follows the absolutely insane life of a man who calls himself Joe Exotic, who at one time owned 176 tigers in his private zoo. Yeah, this went exactly the way you would think it went. And when you watch that documentary, you see the way that he treats like these wild animals like they're just like pets. Like it blows your, your mind. And what you think would happen does happen. Like it doesn't take long before there's a scene where like a tiger's dragging him across an enclosure by his feet. There's tons of other scenes where there's lots of close calls for injury. And finally, there is a scene where one employee actually loses an arm. And you're just like, this is insane. Act like a tiger is a pet. There's no such thing as a tiger king. Shades, we could call the prostitute of Revelation 17 beast queen. She treats the beast like it's her pet. But in this final scene, it devours her. Shades, don't be deceived. There's no such thing as a beast queen. That's That's the message to John and the seven churches living in the Roman Empire. Don't think you can ride Rome's power to prosperity. Rome will devour you. All empires end up devouring their people. Claiming to love their people, they exploit them in a way that can only be described as hate. Evil always ends up imploding on itself. It's always been that way all throughout history. And Revelation 17 declares that's the way it will be in the end. And it will be that way by God's sovereign hand. Look at verse 17. For God has put into their hearts, that's into the heart of the beast and its kings, it's put into their hearts to carry out his purpose, his judgment, by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Shades, do we have the wisdom 
to discern this pattern so that we won't be deceived to death but led to life? Can, can we see that throughout history, the fate of beasts, and can, can we see? Can we see throughout history the fate of beasts and the Babylons who ride them? Evil implodes, it, it comes to an end. The, the word of the world that promises security and satisfaction through power and prosperity, it always turns out to be nothing but an intoxicating lie. That this should stir up faith in us that God's gospel word is true. If every beast in every Babylon has imploded and gone to destruction, like he says, then why would his word not be true that the day is coming when the final beast in Babylon will fall along with all of this fallen reality? It should stir up faith. And this should stir up faithfulness as we live in the midst of this fallen reality. Faithfulness because we have faith that God's word will be fulfilled. That's the final thing of seventeen, of verse 17. It's going to be this way until the words of God are fulfilled. We've discerned the pattern through the spiritual wisdom that he gives. Evil will end. The gospel will win. Take heart, shades. Take heart. The prostitute that is a parody of ultimate reality, that was a present Roman reality, that is a pattern in our reality, she will perish with fallen reality. So take heart. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will face temptation to ride the beast and get in bed in Babylon. But take heart. Christ your King has already conquered. See that ultimate reality. and Don't be deceived to death, but led to life by Christ.